Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, welcome to Resilience Unraveled. And today, I'm talking to some, someone who um, I'm interested to talk to because uh, he's all about weightlifting and Anybody who can see my body can see that I'm a fine figure of a man, but I'm looking at Phil Roberts at the moment on the camera and I'm feeling a bit diminutive, it has to be said. Phil's got his arms out, they're about eight foot wide, he's got his shoulders out there. You know, he's a fine figure of a guy. So good afternoon to you, Mr. Phil, I suppose I, suppose I should call you. <laughs> what a complimentary entrance, thank you. Uh... It must be the camera. The camera must be uh, adding twenty pounds on me or something. That's what they say. <laughs> well, what's happening to mine? Then it seems to be knocking twenty pounds off me everywhere but my stomach. So the first thing I can tell from you, Phil, Phil Roberts, nice to meet you, is that you're an English guy by the sounds of things. Where in the world are you today? So I am. Uh, for those people that aren't around uh, England, I'm in the middle of England. It's a, it's a county called Yorkshire and a, a town called Sheffield. About half a million people, uh, just uh, an old steel city. That's, That's right. what they call it. It's nicknamed the Steel City. That's right. In the North Midlands. Well, we'd, we'd always refer to it as the North, just the North, not, not the Midlands. It's a, yeah. it's a pride thing, that though. I know, but when you're from your castle, you see. <laughs> Everyone's, <laughs> Everyone's from the South. Anyway, it's lovely to talk to you. I'm really looking forward to this. And... Um, I know you've got some more in really interesting st- stories. So what, tell me what it is you do at the moment then, Phil. So at the moment, I am a, uh, I'm a competitive strongman. Uh, that's my first passion. I, I own a gym as well, and I run a security firm. So when, so you, that, say you're, when you say you're a strongman, what does that mean? So, so strongman, it, I, I think it originated from uh, basically people, I think it was an American company that got together and basically said, who is the strongest athlete? So what they did is they put a lot of uh, weightlifters together, powerlifters, they had some American footballers, they had some wrestlers, and they put them all up against these, these very strange competitions where you basically lift a big boulder or you lift an overly-sized wheelbarrow um, or you put a, a, a tree trunk above your head uh, and see basically who did it best. And then that was about nearly 40 years ago, I'd imagine. And then it kind of developed into its own sport because it, it started to get popular. It was on TV a lot. Um, and then uh, basically people said, oh, I like this. I, I could just do this as a sport. So it kind of, it, it gave birth, the TV program gave birth to a sport of its own. And, and now a lot of people know it from uh, the, the Atlas Stones 
picking up the giant round boulders and uh, putting them on platforms or, or lifting a, an iron log above the head. Uh, basically, very large people going very red in the face, lifting lots of heavy weights, basically. And, and, as, and, I, and I think I remember seeing this actually quite a long time ago, but there's things like, you know, pushing a bus or pulling a bus with your teeth and all this sort of stuff. It's <laughs> maybe not with your teeth, but you know what I mean? It was, yeah, luckily, I've not had to uh, pull anything with my teeth because I think my teeth would come out. You, even get, a, you get a harness and you have to pull a bus. Yeah, or a, 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 yeah. yeah so we, we, have to, we have to pull uh, basically maximum weight vehicles. I think the biggest thing they pulled was uh, the jump, a, a, a large jet. Uh, in one of the world's strongest men, but uh, it's common to see a, a full lorry with the trailer uh, or a truck with the trailer being pulled along about 20, 30 metres, and it's the fastest time, or or the ones who could pull it pull it the quickest, or the ones who snap in half. Mm. <laughs> so, so how how on earth? So tell me a story. How on earth did you get into that? Then that, that seems a uh, of all the career choices in all yeah. the world <laughs> what, what you, you surely didn't was this your like a young uh, a youngster's ambition or something tell me how you tell me how this all um, happened it wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't quite uh, as as a child i think i wanted to be an astronaut at first um, yes but i was i was always uh, interested in being big and strong because i was a nervous child so um my my idols at the time my idols were arnold schwarzenegger and all the action heroes of the 1980s and, and 1990s uh, and, and they were never afraid of anything so yeah. because they had big muscles. So it was simple to me. I had big muscles. You don't have to be scared of anything. So I progressed that idea and started training, working out from about 12 years old. And it always progressed, always got, it's like a, like a bit of a snowball effect. It got more and more. Um, and I started to get quite good at it. So one of my friends approached me and said, uh, how about uh, when I was about 20, they said, how about you uh, come and do some strongman training with me? And I was, I was like, well, I've seen it on TV. I never knew you could actually do it as a sport. But yeah, I'll go and give it a go. Be able to prove how strong I am. Or not strong I am. <laughs> At that point in my life, I think it was. Yeah. And that's how I got into it. Okay, so, so let me unpack a couple of things there, if you would. So you said you're a nervous child. And then you said you did training. So I'm, I'm imagining part of your training is physical toning muscle development but i mean one of the great things about sports the artistic world all that sort of stuff is the amount of mental discipline that gets created so what what sort of what sort of training did you have on that side of things or was it just one of those things about failing and learning and failing and learning in the moment it, it was uh, i think it was uh, it started out as uh, as pride um uh, not not in a bad sense i don't think but uh, I learned not to give up, and I, I learned to basically if there if I had a target, I would aim to get to that target, and hopefully achieve that target, and then after that, instead of just stopping at that target, setting another small target and, and progressing from there, and basically learning that if you don't put the effort in, you you don't get to your targets. It was very simple. So if I, if I wanted to be the best, which was in my heart at the time, that was the biggest thing in my life. Um, I just gave it everything. I didn't even see it as work because I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, that's how the mental training came to help me lead with uh, dealing with other situations later on in my life. So you set a target, you put the work in, you got the feedback from hitting the target, but yeah. then you pushed yourself more because actually, yeah. Did you did but you le did you learn to love it because you were doing it, or did you do it because you loved it? I th I think it's I think in that sense, it, you initially start doing it because you love it. Right. 
and then and then it grows into the the other aspects of it as well and the more you do it the, the more you love it um and it's it's, it's a relationship that uh, almost grows at the same time because you've you've always got to set yourself further targets there's it's never going to run out you're never going to get to a point where you say right i've achieved it now i can walk away and, and that's it i'll give up now yeah. um, so it's, it's a lifelong sort of uh, it's it almost it almost walks alongside you as you walk your life sort of thing it's yeah. always there with you and do you bring that thinking into aspects of life not to do with that sort of competitive sports area um, yes, yes. So, uh, in, a, in a business sense, um, I was actually uh, 22 years old, I, well, sorry, 21 years old, I, I became a police officer. Um, and I always wanted to be a police officer during my uh, young adult or uh, uh, early teen life. And um, I was one of the youngest in my class. And I, I do believe because I treat it the same way as I treated my uh, weightlifting, I, I'd go all in. I say that's the goal then we go for this goal um and i put a lot of effort in behind the scenes and stuff so it was quite it's quite rare uh, at that time for 21 year olds to be joining the police so as you can imagine you once you achieve your goal you yeah. wow that's a pat on your back yeah um, but with the police uh, once i've achieved it it was like right well where do i go now yeah. whereas with the weightlifting it's a continuous thing so yes. once you achieve your goal, I joined the police, and it wasn't cracked up to be all that I thought it would be. That's from basically watching RoboCop as a kid too much, maybe. Getting a few delusional ideas of what policing would actually be like. But, uh, I hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, this is all, it's all about learning laws, was it police and criminal evidence acts and all that sort of stuff, and learning what you can't do. Yeah, basically, yeah. Basically, you're led by paperwork. If, uh, sometimes I remember when we, uh, we'd catch just a low-level thief or something like that, we'd catch them, and then while you're doing the paperwork, still five hours later, oh. we're like, you know what? If they just ran a bit faster, we wouldn't yeah. have had to be back here doing all this paperwork. So you trip yourself up there. Yeah. So did you stay in the police, or, or, or did you stay in the police and continue your sport, or did one, one take over the other? What happened then? Oh, there was there was only ever there was only ever one passion. After I joined the police, it was um, a bit of a delusional uh, dream of mine. I, I it, it didn't live up to the expectations. Yeah. Whereas the weightlifting did. So the first time I actually competed at, I, I was in the police from the age of twenty-one to twenty-nine. So I was in for about eight years. Oh, so you just didn't give up? You actually stuck at it? No, yeah, I stuck at it because. Um, that's a, but that's an important thing for people, isn't it? Because a lot of people think that there's a there's a dream which is the sport or the performance life and it's like watching the telly and then you're you're walking down the street and an agent leaps out and you're well hey but it's not it's it's graft isn't it and you have to often have another job or a real job or a, a day job whilst you're putting your your work into the to becoming an overnight success at 29. Yeah I mean I was I was um... It, that was the sort of time where I learned that, you know what, life isn't exciting all the time. Sometimes you just have to do stuff for the sake of having to do stuff. Um, and you never know where it's going to pay off later on because uh, me being in the police, if I'd just been in for, say, six months or a year when I, yeah. when I started to not enjoy that much, um, it wouldn't have looked so good on the, uh, the say, CV for when I started a security firm. Yeah. So now I can refer to 
myself as managing director of the Titanium 22 and uh, I was actually in the police for eight years and, and I'd got lots and lots of experience in lots of different areas so it actually benefited me in the time whereas while I was doing while I was in the police at the time I was, I was quite unhappy yeah. but now because I went through that tough patch um, I, I managed to actually it paid off even though yeah. at the time you just don't think well what's the point of doing this i hate it it's just a paycheck but now looking back on it i can see why it was there and, and, and why i did it and and how it's benefiting me now and it was course funding your your other lifestyle wasn't it and a lot of people yeah. do jobs they don't really love because actually what they're doing is it's, it's an it's enabling them to do other stuff isn't it i have a friend of mine who loathed their job but they loved it but it was great because they could finish at five o'clock and go scuba diving every night because they were next yeah. door to this and it was as simple as that they were next door to the deep water pool and he could get three or four hours diving every night and and the, literally that was it and he hated the job and it, but it's that thing isn't it sometimes that people don't make those trade-offs so that they don't separate the two things they just say well i'm you know i'm going to do do this easy thing but if you don't stick to things you can't do the you can't do the hard thing because that mental toughness you've built is like you're saying it's applying to both sides of your life isn't it yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's it's exactly. It's like a, it's like a weighing scale. You 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 want to do you want to do the uh, the fun bit, then you you've got to maybe do the mundane stuff that that funds that. Like you said, I I couldn't when I first started. I wasn't good enough to be sponsored or anything, so I had to pay for all my equipment. I had to pay for all my protein. I had to pay for uh, my travel to competitions. Um, even later on, when when I was uh, starting to get quite well known and I actually managed to travel different to different countries the first few times I went I had to pay for my own um, my own uh, airfare and, and and travel and stuff so um, but again it later on it pays off as long as you stick at that but yeah. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't just have a grounded job and I think I think for a lot of people the 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 the, the, the quandary they get into is knowing to stick to something but yeah. you know, relentlessly stick to it and be miserable. Or what's the point you give up? Because obviously there came a point where you said, I want to leave the police either to do something else or to carry on with this bodybuilding, body, uh, yeah. strongest man uh, malarkey. Strong man. Yeah. I'll get there <laughs> in the end. <laughs> yeah, so, the difference is that um, bodybuilders look good in skimpy little pants, whereas strong men, we don't look so good. We've got, we've got curves in the wrong places and stuff. So. Right. Uh, we're not quite as glamorous. You have to have giant pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you so you left the police, and what happened then? Then. Yeah, so I left. I left the police. The reason I left the police is, I, as I said, I wasn't happy for a long time. I wasn't. I wasn't happy for potentially over six years while I was in the police, uh, and it started to progress and get worse. So uh, another bit in my life, uh, I split up with my fiance at the time. So it, it kind of all added together and I said, you know what, enough's enough. You know, it's, it's not worth it anymore. I, it's, it's making me that unhappy that I, I have to do something about this. And, and that was um, basically start a whole new chapter in my life. And I went and uh, I opened a gym. I opened Titanium Strength Gym. Um, and I had my hands in my head every single night for about the, nearly the first year where I wasn't paying myself. Everything was getting reinvested. Yeah. And I had to move back to my parents and live in a single bed for my 30th birthday. Oh. So, again, that was a relatively low point. But comparing to how unhappy I was towards the end of the police, 
I was actually happier because I could see that I had a future. Whereas if you can't see that you have a future, so I didn't see myself having a future in the place. So it was never going to get better. Yeah. But there was always, obviously, I had so much stress running the business by yourself, and yeah. and it's my own money I invested, so I, I was due, I could have lost it all. But I know that it had potential to go take me further places, and I was doing the the the, the event that the 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 strongman that actually made me happy. So yeah. on a scale of it, yes, it was more stressful, but it was so much. I, I enjoyed it so much more. Yeah. But of course, stress can be a good thing as well. So people talk about oh, stress always being bad. You know, stress is stress. It's you, yeah. you decide whether it's good or bad. So, so, so you keep mentioning the word titanium and you haven't told me more about the, um, the sports stuff. So what's the link with titanium? Uh, so titanium, um, it's, it's strange enough. When I, when I came to opening the gym, I, uh, I think I, I went through what's the hardest um, iron, uh, well, sorry, the, the hardest metal. Yeah. And I think it, it was something, uh, it was, um, I'm, I'm probably wrong here, it's probably something like tungsten. I may be wrong now, okay, so anyone listening that's smarter than me, that's, that's forgive me. Um, but uh, that didn't sound very good, as uh, say, say it was tungsten, it was tungsten gin. It just didn't have the ring to it. So I, I looked, what's the second strongest? metal or the second densest metal and it was titanium so i thought oh that's got a nice name to it uh, and that was before the song came out the famous song of titanium came out um i don't know i don't know a song called titanium titanium i think it's uh, i can't remember who it's by but there'll be some okay. of your listeners will recognize it. yeah uh, and um basically it went from there and then i i liked the idea of uh, building um building little empires of things so um, I, I opened the gym and called it titanium strength gym and then um, as I later got on and uh, started the security firm we um, went for why not call this is another uh, security is going to be quite hard and tough so we went for titanium 22 which is its number on the uh, element table right so titanium 22 that's why it's called titanium 22 ah. so 22nd, um, 22nd uh, element on the table right. on the, on the and so what happened to the sports side of things what's happened to the strongest man thing so, where, where, so where did you get where did you get with that yeah so i uh, i got i managed to get to england's strongest man i won england's strongest man in 2017 oh, wow. congratulations uh, so that yeah thank you that will that will always go down in history as uh, i was the england's strongest man 2017 so the legacy has kind of been left there a little bit um and then um I, the second year, so 2018, uh, the year after that, I, I, I came second in UK, and that was at um, that was at UK's strongest man. That's the one you get to see on TV at Christmas time. Yeah. And then I started to get to go all over the world. Uh, I've been to Abu Dhabi, uh, I've been to Finland, I've been to Serbia, been to Romania, uh, uh, been all all over basically competing. So I, at that point in time, I was I was getting to see the world. I was getting paid to see the world because yeah. uh, I got a sponsorship. So and, and yeah. I, I'm glad to say that the sponsors now is, is a good friend of mine. Um, we're, we're good friends now. We speak uh, nearly a daily occasion. Yeah. Uh, and, but I got to see, see the world. I was living the dream. I was doing the sport that I loved and went to see the world and, and got to go on TV. So I had a little bit of uh, like miniature fame. And uh, then in 2019, everything came crashing to a bit of a halt. Right. <laughs> Quite literally crashing to a halt. Um, 
that was the time where gravity beat me. Um, what happened was um, I, I had a really bad competition. It was at Sheffield Arena, which is uh, an indoor arena that's about holds about 10,000 people, and it was yeah. sold out. Um, and it was towards the end of the competition. I'd already had a really bad competition. Um, I basically, I'd, I'd put on too much weight. I'd gone too, basically too heavy, right. which meant that I lost my mobility. Um, oh. It was an experiment that I was trying. I thought it would pay off. But it didn't. It, it basically meant I was towards the bottom of the pack, uh, right. which I'd never really been in this position. I've never done so badly. And I remember thinking, right, well, last event, let's just do this so I can get to the pub and have a few beers to drown my sorrows. And um, I basically went and did the Atlas Stones, the, the, the round uh, concrete balls that you, you pick up and put on platform. Yeah. And as I picked up the fourth one, which was 160 kilos, uh, I missed the ledge, and my leg was wedged in between uh, the the um, the platform and the floor. So, right. if you imagine your toes are on the floor, and your knee is up against the uh, the, the platform, yeah. and the 160 kilo stone dropped from about six foot onto my knee, Ooh. which snapped my tibia and fibula uh, completely in half. And I I've, I've got some footage of it, and you can actually hear the crack over oh. a, a full arena from yeah. about 30 meters away. And obviously I, I remember hearing the crack and thinking that is very bad. And then, and then the pain kicked. Yes. And then the pain kicked in. So, uh, yeah, um, I was on the, uh, I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is, this could be a career ender. I think this is me done uh, and a lot of pain. And basically they, they took me off to hospital Obviously, uh, yeah. they didn't let me finish the last one, the last stone <laughs> on one leg. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd run out of time anyway. Um, that would have been funny if I'd asked them, wouldn't I? I was like, oh, excuse yeah. me, time before I before I go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that that wasn't really crossing my mind at that time. Um, and I went to hospital and had the first bit of surgery, and they said, right, well, well it's a clean break. Um, it didn't come out of the skin, so you're very lucky, even though your leg's very floppy on the floor. Um, we'll, um, we'll, we'll take into surgery and repair the bone. And as I came, obviously you go, you go get put to sleep. And as, as I came back around, um, there's a lot of nurses and a, and a couple of doctors stood over me. And I was, I've been in surgeries before. Uh, I woke up and I was like, oh, something's not right. Looked down at my leg and there was actually four, um, if you think about um, masonry bolts, so large masonry yeah. bolts that would hold breeze blocks together, yeah. sticking out of my leg. There's four of them, oh. uh, above two above the break, two below the break, and yeah. there was um, four four uh, titanium, ironically, oh, rods. Yeah. Well, that's where I thought it was coming from. You see, go on, carry on. Yeah, I'm fascinated. So keep going. Everyone likes a gory injury. Come on, <laughs> excellent. We've got four yeah, boats. Four titanium rods bridged together, and they basically said, "Look," um, and then I had this humongous wound. Uh, either side of this and I, I just looked down I was what is going on here and they said look you've, you've you've had what we call compartment syndrome and compartment syndrome is basically your muscle is kept into a in a sack and um, what happens is because I had such a large muscle mass the, the sack was already full uh, but with the extra swelling of the leg break and the fluids that released what it was doing it was actually 
it was so much pressure that it was actually stopping the blood. It was strangling the arteries, taking blood to my foot. And they said, look, we, you, you could lose your leg at this point. Um, uh, worst case scenario, you can die from uh, blood poisoning. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's a bit of a wake-up call. You think, well, I thought it was just a broken leg. I thought you were going to fix it, and then it was going to be okay. Um, and they said, no, for the next two weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be um, working to save your legs. So I had a pump. Uh, so what they had to do is they had to cut, slice my leg open from knee to ankle, all the way down. But obviously, if you if you if you if you break if you break the skin that badly, and you have to cut into the muscle as well to break the sac, uh, your muscle is very tight and taut, so it stretches open. So I had two gaping wounds either side. There was actually as much wound as there was leg. Well, it felt like. Yeah. Um, so they left that open wound for two weeks uh, with a pump with a pump attached to it, basically trying to get out what I'd describe as uh, I had to walk around with a pump on, uh, like a like a little handbag around me. And it, I can only describe it as, it looks like, I hope it's, people aren't eating as they listen to this, but it, it looks like spaghetti bolognese without the oh, spaghetti, yeah. just a bolognese sauce. <laughs> That's what it looked like. And I had to walk around with this um, for two weeks. Well, I couldn't walk around. I used to have to hobble around or, uh, or uh, go in a wheelchair for two weeks. Um, and then basically came the day they said, look, yeah, uh, the, the swelling's gone down. We can actually fix the bone now. So I've had a skin graft because they couldn't, they can't stitch it back up because the skin got too stretched. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've actually had skin graft all over my leg. But um, so that would be the end of any modeling career I had. Never, yeah. I've never had I've never had any from the first place because uh, uh Unfortunately, I'm, I'm not good lucky enough to be a model, so I wasn't missing out on anything, and I wasn't uh, getting sponsored by IMAC or anything, so I didn't have lovely smooth legs. So uh, <laughs> there's no great loss for me there. I don't, I don't mind a, a nasty scar. It's but what's happened? What's what's happened to the knee though? Is the knee okay? The, yes, surprisingly, the, the knee basically put all the force into the the uh, tibia and fibia, so it didn't actually take much of the brunt. It was just oh. uh, all the energy was ex expelled in the breaking of the tibia and fibula. Wow. Uh, but that basically, I was in, I was in what we call a Lizaroff frame, uh, an external fixator for uh, four and a half months to, to refix it. And that, that I can only describe as one of the most painful experiences ever. Right. Basically, yeah. If you think about it, what it is, it's an external fixator, which basically they screw, uh, I think they, there was 24 screws in my leg that were holding it in place, holding the bones in place. But your flesh moves around this. So yeah, every yeah. time you eat, it's, if you think about it, the, the calf muscle was like a kebab on a, on a, on a uh, barbecue stick. So it was, it was slide down and slide back up. And oh, it, was, it was, yeah, it's not fun even thinking about it. But I'm, I'm smirking to myself now because I know that it's all over and done with and I don't have to do it again. So, uh, um, yeah. It's, uh, so, so I'm guessing then, because the fact that you're sitting me talking to me today, I'm guessing that those mental strategies you learned from being a kid have helped you through this because it's exactly the same process recovering from the illness in a way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, also what happened is um, I was I was very popular. I was I was very popular. I already had always had a little group around me. People wanted to be around me because I was doing so well. Uh, and when the leg break came, um, a lot of people kind of kind of. Uh, just tossed me aside. It wasn't, they didn't do it straight away. They didn't say, oh, Phil, by the way, now you broke your leg and you're not doing very well at Strongman. Um, I, don't, I don't want to be your friend. It's kind of, 
you don't hear from them as much. And then when you when you contact them or you try to contact them, it's it's they're not as in, enthusiastic about seeing you. So you start to get the you start to learn that actually people were there for one thing and for themselves to glorify themselves. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually, uh, during this time, I, I did find it very hard, um, even though I had the training of never surrender, don't give up, uh, always have a goal, make sure you have a goal. Um, but at the same time, I actually did start going to church and, and, and I became a Christian, um, which had, it, it, it'd been a long thing for me. Uh, yeah. it'd been, um, I'd, I'd, I'd always thought there was a God there and, and basically it, it came to a head when everyone, a lot of people left me and I was left with, with nothing else. So. I learned that maybe maybe God was the only one that stuck around there fully. It's it's a it's a it's a thing I hear a lot with people who've gone through injuries, that and especially people who you know being in the sporting world in particular, there's this sort of crowd of flies around people, and you know the sort of the sort of the sort of buzz off and find another place to hang around, don't they? Mm, and yeah. I'm pleased you found something because actually you know it's. You know, it's it's whatever helps, isn't it? And if you you'll find solace and purpose and such like in that place, then then why not? You know, no one can yeah. judge you for something that works for you. No, exactly. Um, and basically, you, you just I I learned. Obviously, you had really bad days. You had really bad days when the pain was bad. Um, and there's I don't think you can do anything to avoid those bad days. But the days where you're feeling okay, that's when the days you make progress. So yeah. that's when I started, um, when we started doing the business plan for Titanium 22. So to keep yourself motivated, even if it wasn't successful, I mean, it's doing well now. We're, we're glad to say it's doing quite well. Um, but um, even if we weren't successful, it was still something at that time to do. And I, I did have a, a couple of other business ideas during the time. And they didn't, they didn't come to anything. But you know what? I was glad I did them, even though I put the effort in and there was no reward uh, financially for it. Um, it still kept my mind occupied, kept myself yeah. busy. And make, um, it's driving you forward, isn't it? Giving you a sense of purpose almost. Yeah. There's, but you do get days. You get, um, and you have to actively, in my opinion, when, when I look back and think, why did that happen? Why did this have to happen? Um, if I'd just done this, I've just done this. I, I'd always say, if you can't change something, why bother thinking about it? Because you're only beating yourself up and then that reflects. So you beat yourself up so your self-esteem goes down and then your low self-esteem gets kind of, it gets infected onto other people and, and, and then other yeah. people realise, you know what, he's not a very nice person to be around anymore. He's, he's not fun. And even your closest friends will basically eventually turn away from you, not because of... They're, they're being um, they're being nasty or anything, but because your negativity just it gets too much. So, what you have to do in that situation, I had to snap out of it. Yes, I'd have a day or two where I'd felt miserable, but then after that, I'd, I'd snap out of it and and see what I could do and yeah. um, push myself forward, like you said. And that's our key, isn't it? I mean, people don't understand how much planning really helps you. That projection into the future, it's. It's so powerful. So, so Phil, it's a brilliant story. Um, so, you're going to write a book? <laughs> I'm a strong man. I don't know which way the pencil goes. So, <laughs> I tell you something. There's, the, there's this new invention. It's, you don't need a pencil anymore. <laughs> really? Well, I, well, I'd only just discovered pencils. It was chalkboards and uh, <laughs> all that. So, uh, 
Well, no, but seriously, I think it's a, it's a brilliant story. It's massively inspirational. You've got a ton of you know, really interesting lessons in there. Um, if people would like to find out more about you, your story, how, how, how can they find you online? Uh, I'd say the, the best way to find me is uh, maybe on Instagram or, or Facebook. Instagram is um, uh, it's Phil Titanium Roberts. Uh, and, and Facebook, unfortunately, is a lot harder to find because it's just Phil Roberts, plain old me. Uh, but I will be lifting a weight and probably purple in the face and, and uh, like I said, not the face of a model, but uh, uh, a rather large person, shall we say. Very good. Ah, oh, it's brilliant. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Phil. I think it's a brilliant story and tons and tons and tons of, you know, really useful things people can take away. I think the way you think is very, is, is so, it's so clear. It really, it really is very helpful. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. I do appreciate that. And if anyone does think that I can help them, and uh, then please feel free to contact. It's, it's absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll always get back to people, but it just may not be straight away. Thanks for spending time with us today. You take care. You take care, mate. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.